Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Traxler and Carolyn Ford to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Now, let's get to the point. Good morning. Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity. I'm Carolyn Ford here with Eric Trexler. Good morning, Eric. Good morning, Carolyn. I'm rested and ready to go after a long Thanksgiving weekend. Excellent. How about you? As am I. I, I'm good. And I'm excited to talk to our guest today, Ross Young. He is the CISO at Caterpillar Financial Services Corporation, a former divisional CISO for Capital One. And he has over a decade of experience within multiple government agencies, including the NSA, Federal Reserve, and CIA. And... He also has a passion for hacking. Good morning, Ross. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on the show today. Hopefully that's hacking as in white hat hacking, as my old CEO, Chris Young, I'm assuming no relation, used to call it. Yeah, I've always enjoyed learning and using hacking as a way to increase my technical skills. Nothing illegal, of course. So uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. It's really helped me have a career I could truly love. And no, I'm not related to, to Chris. Awesome. Awesome. So, Carolyn, do you mind if I kick it off? Kick it off, Eric. Ross, you talked about a, a career you enjoy. How'd you get into cyber? I mean, how did you, you know, you've got an extensive educational background, but how did you decide cyber? Where did it start? So from a young age, I always knew computers was really what I wanted to do. And as I started in my computer science program at Utah State, I, I just really fell in love with it. And, and there's so many different flavors of computer science. There's programming, there's data science, there's artificial intelligence. But the piece that I really thought was cool was cyber. You, you kind of feel like you're a magician because you know how tricks work, but everybody else doesn't. And that's kind of what brought me into hacking. You learn how to break things and other people may not know how to do that. And so you can help to, to solve some of these problems. So when I was a junior in, in college, I went to DEF CON and, and got to see more of uh, the different fields and things that you could do. And I just knew that was the career for me. So in 2005, there was a couple of schools that really started focusing on cybersecurity and became certified by the NSA. Idaho State was one of the only ones that really focused on an MBA program to train the next generation of cyber management. And, and it's brand new and, and cutting edge for the field, whereas a lot of folks were focusing on computer science and master of, of engineering type programs. So having a cyber track that leads to some of the leadership is really what I wanted to do because I love managing and leading folks and being able to leverage my skills was something that just looked like a lot of fun. And, and is that a national center for academic excellence in cyber defense school? Correct. Yes. Okay. So it's one of the, I, I don't, I forget how many there are. They're like 20, 15, 20 schools across the nation. It's one of them. Yes. I think they're like at about a hundred or more now. It's oh, really no grown over the okay. years, uh, but they were one of the original four. So did you find cybersecurity? I, I'm just curious because early 2000s, this is kind of before cyber was even invented. I know that makes me sound really naive, but kind of. Come on, Carolyn, you're older than that. <laughs> we know that. Come on, it's been earlier than that. Well, but this is, I mean, like. It became big. No, you're right. It, early yeah. 2000s is when it really became big. And so, so I'm wondering, Ross, did you, 
did you find cyber and cybersecurity by computer engineering? Like, is that where you started computer science? And then that led you to cybersecurity? Or did you so, just know? So if you're in computer science programs, you're going to take a number of classes where you're probably going to build websites and build software applications. And one of the electives I had when I was doing my computer science program was a computer security course. So that kind of got, you know, my appetite for it. And as I started looking, you know, you, you go down this rabbit hole of wanting to know more and more and more. And then you say, well, if I really want to do more, how about I do a, a degree in this where I can specialize and, and really spend a lot of time doing things I enjoy? I like that you said you're like a magician. I'm going to use that as a hook for our millennials to get well, them more interested in cybersecurity. And you have, and looking at LinkedIn, you had a degree, a bachelor's of science in business and cyber and computer science, right? You That's double correct. Majored? Okay. Yeah, I, I started in computer science and I was looking to get some internships and for whatever reason, I just didn't luck into them. So I said, well, if I can't get a internship, the best thing I should do is pick up a business degree on the side. So then I'll learn how to start my own business and learn a lot of the soft skills of writing and communications and marketing and business plans that'll ultimately help me to, to do better in my jobs. So, you know, by just taking an extra like two classes every semester on top of my computer science workload, I, I picked up a business degree in four years with my computer science degree. Nice. And so you graduate. Did you have yep. a question, Carolyn? I was, I was actually, I think I was headed the same place you were, Eric, is Go for after it. you graduated, were you recruited by the government or was the government so, next? So after I graduated from my undergraduate program, I, I kind of had two routes, go into the workforce or go into a master's program. And I thought it was better to do a master's program at that point in time in my life. I still liked beyond college, you know, having all of the college experiences, as well as really getting a, an opportunity to not just be a computer science person, but a cyber person. So I enrolled into Idaho State. They had a MBA program in cybersecurity. Uh, it was called Information Assurance back then. And they paid all of your tuition and gave you a stipend to live off of every month. The only caveat was you had to work for the federal government for two years once you completed your two-year program. Very similar to an ROTC experience that you would have for military folks. And was that only for master's level or they did it for undergrad too? They did it for undergrad as well. So there was deal. one uh, student in my program who, who went through that. As, do they still do, do that? Is that a program still? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very popular. It's done through all of the NSA certified schools. The scholarship is called Scholarship for Service. You can find it on sfs.opm.gov. We'll and link to that in the show notes. Yes, we will. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so you go to the government. Mm -hmm. you, you finish your master's, you go to the government. Back to your question, Carolyn. How'd you figure well, out where to go? Yeah, what, what did you, you do, do it in the government? So while I was doing my MBA program, because it was a two-year-long program, I did my internship at NSA and had a really good time learning a lot of different things and exposure of what they did. And, and I always loved that classified world of, of being essentially a modern-day pirate where you can go and learn to find ways to hack into things and, and do this where you might go to prison if you were trying to do this, you know, just on your own. So, <laughs> so, so I love that. And, and 
coming out of my MBA program in year two, I had a offer from CIA as a project manager to, to lead a lot of their IT pieces and focus on some of their securing uh, software efforts, as well as an offer from the Federal Reserve Board. But my CIA clearance didn't actually take my NSA clearance, so I had, to, I had to wait for that. And took a job at the Federal Reserve for about a year doing vulnerability assessments on the federal banks. Oh, so they made you wait before they hired you? Yeah. Okay. I, I had a friend once who applied at the CIA, and he was going to be a, you know, a field, a field uh, operative of some sort. And like two and a half years later, they came back to to bring him on board. And he's like, look, my life moved on. So I, don't, I have no idea how they keep people when they when you have to find a job to wait until you're ready for your job. But interesting. OK. Well, and also you're you're like the poster child for attracting millennials to cybersecurity. You're Absolutely. a magician, a pirate, a renegade. You're breaking <laughs> the law without going to jail. I mean, everything a millennial wants to be right <laughs> But but now you're you're almost at the two year limit or or two year payback period, aren't you? So I worked at the Federal Reserve for about a year, and then okay. afterwards I spent ten and a half years in the CIA. So I, I well compensated that two year requirement that was you know asked of me for paying for my stipend, and and at the. At the agency, I had a fantastic time. I got to do so many cool things. I won't go into all the liberties about what I did. Uh, a lot of that is very sensitive still to this day, but really cool mission where you can do a lot of offensive and defensive cybersecurity. So we have a lot of government listeners, predominantly government listeners on this podcast, but you, you leave CIA, you go to Cap One. I know you do a lot on DevOps. You do a lot in, in the cloud. Um, but my real question is, how do you compare and contrast the difference between the government and the commercial world as you make that transition? So the federal sector was really interesting because of the size of scale in cybersecurity. So just think about this. If you have a cyber department that only has five people, that's that's the limit of what you can specialize in. But if you have a group that has f- 50 people, Now think of how many more things you can specialize and have these different cyber programs. Hmm. Now keep growing. Now go to 500 people or 5,000 people, right? Think of how many different roles and expertise and niches in cyber that you can grow in. So as you start to think about that and you think about where are the places that have those large 500 to 5,000 type numbers of people, that's where you can go and get so much exposure to this cutting edge industry and where things are going. And there's very few places that have that, that talent and that, that capabilities. Now, the biggest thing that I saw when I transitioned from a place like CIA to Capital One was the different types of talent. If you think about it, what is the primary mission of you know, an intelligence agency? It's to recruit people. And that typically means you need people who speak foreign languages, who have political science backgrounds. Those are typically not what you're going to call a technical person, right? Not, not an IT degree, by the, by the way. Now, compare that with Capital One. Capital One doesn't view themselves as a banking company. 
And I know that's very different because everybody thinks about that from all their marketing, you know, they view themselves as a technology company, much like Facebook or Amazon or Google that sells banking products. So they try to, to hire a large amount of computer scientists and computer engineers to build all this digital portfolio. So when I left the federal sector where I was working along a lot of non-technical audiences to go to a technology sector, I instantly felt at home with people who were like me, who thought like me, who understood it's about technical approaches compared to, you know, this other bureaucratic organization where you have a lot of things, your very well structured program project management focuses. So I thought that was a a very big, stark contrast. Okay. So I have a follow up then. Cap one technology company thinks of themselves as a technology company, but they're really in the finance business, right? I mean, they're not, I, I don't think you'd put them up against Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft from a technology perspective in, in what they sell, but they leverage technology to really advance their their capabilities in the financial space. Is that fair? Yes, I, I think that's okay. spot on. So and, then, and the key difference here is yeah. instead of recruiting a lot of bankers and MBAs, right. Capital One is recruiting a lot of computer science students. Okay, yes. so so you, you go to CIA, NSA, DHS, really doesn't matter for the question I'm going to ask. And their mission, like Cap One is in the financial sector, their mission is intelligence gathering. Fair? C- different different yep. mechanisms, different methods, but intelligence gathering. The the intelligence gathering component relies on technology more and more these days than ever before. Same as the banking industry, the financial industry. Would it suit them? Would it work as well, in your opinion, for them to hire technologists and have think of themselves as a technology organization as opposed to an intelligence organization, almost like Cap One does? Or would that never work? I think they understand the need for technology. There's a lot of ways you're going to use technology within an intelligence agency from, you know, tracking and locating terrorists, from having, you know, covert communications with people. Those things rely on technology. However, I will say CIA isn't that heavy tech place compared to an NSA, which is that 100% tech-focused agents. See, they're more focused on the human side, which is their core mission, right? Right. So so different different collection capability. But what I heard you say, and maybe I misunderstood, Cap1 being in the financial sector is a technology company. They think of themselves as a technology company. I think what you were saying, if I heard you correctly, was they see themselves as hiring technologists and leveraging technologists to competitive advantage in the financial sector. Fair? Correct. What if the intelligence agencies, which also use a ton of technology, I agree with you. I think they have a lot of smart people, a lot of technologists. What if they thought of themselves in a similar way that Cap1 does to their financial business, to the intelligence business? Hey, we're a technology organization. We're going to leverage technology to collect data. I mean, they do. But the mindset, you know, when I've spent a lot of time in the community, the mindset's we're an intelligence organization. We collect intelligence. You could say the same thing about Cap One. They're a financial organization. They do financial things. But you described them very differently, which was exciting. And, and it sounded like that was a competitive advantage to them. Yeah, I, I think 
the federal sector, particularly in the intelligence communities, isn't ready for that shift of we're going to make 70% of all of our hires as computer science graduates. It's just not ready for something like that. But places that understand that every company is a software company or a technology company, it's a very drastic mind shift. And, and if you think about it, you can take any industry. Let's just take something like John Deere tractors. You know, most people think of that not as a technology company, but could you have sensors all through your field that tell you exactly when you need to water, when you need to plant, when you need to grow? Would you like sensors on all your tractors knowing when they need maintenance, knowing when they need parts to come and be delivered for upgrades? There's a lot of things you can do to do data-driven decisions and turning a company into a software company. And that's where you really start to change and make this different types of value and specialization around your company. I and what love you it. just ahead, what Karen. you just said right there that excites me, you know, Eric, because yeah, me too. So the the technology, the cyber, really is just woven into the fabric of our lives, and it it does make our lives better, and it can make it worse depending on how it's used. But um, I, I love that analogy with with the farmers and using the technology in that way. And big data I'd, I'd love way. to weave it into the IC, into the intelligence community even more so. I feel sometimes we're, we're a little slow, but we won't dwell on that. So now you're, you're CISO, Chief Information Security Officer at Cat, Caterpillar Financial. Correct. How's that? We're the been? bank behind the large construction companies. So we do all the loans, the warranties, the insurance products around all the manufacturing uh, that you see. And it's, it's been a fantastic role. I, I've loved the financial sector. I've spent most of my career in it. And so I, I just can't think of something we need to protect as much as our banking system, right? If, if our banking system just were to go shot, everybody's 401ks, everybody's savings would all be just destroyed. And I don't think we would have a first world company, uh, a first world country without it. How has working from home, what kind of challenges has that given you as far as a CISO goes, like in security? Are there advantages, disadvantages? When you took your job in the middle of this COVID-19 crisis, too. Yeah, I, I moved in June to the Nashville area from D.C. So, you know, in the middle of, of a pandemic, my family and I were living in Holiday Inn extended stay hotels. And I have four kids that are, you know, 10, 8, 6 and, and 4 at the time. So you got to imagine living that. And and it was a little bit crazy, but I think it's really an interesting place. Caterpillar Financial has just been a fantastic company. They're allowing people to work remotely during the pandemic and seeing that as an opportunity where, hey, maybe we should be remote 100% of the time for certain types of jobs or most of the time. And, and that can really change a culture and allow a company to do some very different things like hire people that you, you probably would have lost as they move back to living closer to their families, you know, hiring people that you might not have been able to get them if, you know, who's hiring in the middle of South Dakota, right? Probably not many, but if there's right. a good cybersecurity specialist that you could find there, that could be really a, a good add to your team. No, we've yeah, had we've, a lot of people talk about that, Carolyn, right? Yeah, the, the exactly. opening up of the aperture with the number of jobs we need to fill, 
the population is now more, you can live at home. Right. We don't know, limit to geography. Yeah. We, we look for talent. Doesn't matter where you are. So how, what about the disadvantages, especially for you as a CISO? Like what kind of heartburn has this caused for you? Gotta be scary. Yeah. For me, the older I get, the more important I realize relationships are. And the way I typically build relationships of trust is to sit and chat with people. I love going to lunches to kind of just getting to know somebody and, and seeing what they're working on and then discussing. Because when people understand how much you care about what they're trying to accomplish in their mission, then they're more willing to open up. And it's very hard having Zoom meetings or Teams meetings with others. You just don't get that same level of connection as you do when you sit with people day after day, having lunches with them and getting to know them. So I think that piece is really missing and we haven't figured out a uh, an alternative yet, but hopefully that'll come back some point soon. I I'm hear close, that over and over again. Yeah. I'm close mm. friends with a, a musician, also a fabulous yoga instructor. And he said it this way that when we are face to face, we have that physical exchange literally of the sound waves of my sound waves, traveling, meeting you, going into your ears and that it's a literal physical connection where we don't get to have that over technology. And I thought and, and, that was an interesting perspective. And, and that's really good. But you also get 100% of their attention, right? Mm -hmm. If you're in a Zoom or team meeting, how many times are we also on our phone or opening up another tab in Google, you know, multitasking, and then you're losing some of that attention. So one of the things I think that's really important is when you can go out to lunch, you kind of put all that away and you really just focus on the one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to it's hard to look at your phone. I mean, it's very obvious if you're reading your phone at lunch while you're eye to eye with someone. Yeah, exactly. So I have a I have a question for you. As I was reading your bio, among the many things that you do, you're also an instructor at the Sands Institute. And one of the things that jumped out at me on your bio is it said that your instructional style is to break information down into bite-sized chunks so your students can take it and have immediate impact on their organizations. So what kind of bite-sized chunks would you break down for the federal government as far as like CISO advice, cybersecurity advice to have the most impact right now? I think the first thing you have to understand in the federal sector is how do we keep people happy? You are in an organization in cyber where you're paying people half to maybe a third of their commercial salary. So there has to be a love of mission and enjoyment, a feel that they're learning new things and doing things that they can only do there and no place else. And if you tie that, I think that allows you to, to keep and attract the good people. So you're just not, you know, cycling through young college students year after year. The next thing I think you have to focus on is what is it we really want our security functions to perform? Now, in the commercial side, it's you typically focus on something like we're in the business of revenue protection, right? What are our applications that make money? If they go down, they cause us, you know, major heartburn. 
And that's different in the federal government because you're not making money for most Mm, places. The mission is different. (laughs) Yeah. So it's about protecting lives of assets. If you're in the CIA, it's about ensuring, you know, safe travel. If you're in, you know, the TSA or other places like that. So it's understanding what the core mission is, enabling them to operate and understanding the risks they need to take. So how do you do that? You typically have to look in a variety of ways. You need a program where you can understand what you have. You need to have developers doing things like threat modeling to understand where things can go wrong. You need to have some type of check where you're making sure the basics are done. You're you're patching, you're securing your configurations. And you need to have active protections like WAFs and RASP devices, runtime application self-protection tools that help secure your applications because nothing is perfect. Sounds like DevSecOps. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Going back to Derek Weeks, Karen. There we go. Do you know what though? This is this is so cool because your message, Ross, is one that we have heard over and over, and over. from other CTOs. And and the first thing you said was your people, like build that relationship. I I love that. And then understanding the mission. And then that DevSecOps piece that I just learned about. <laughs> so so let, let's talk about wins. You're, you're a government CISO. What, what does a win look like versus a commercial CISO? So it comes back to risk. What okay. is it you want to focus on? Is it allowing the business to build the next generation of tools securely Is it looking at our current inventory and drastically reducing the number of vulnerabilities that provide unnecessary risk to our organization? Is it, you know, just helping people combat the threats? You know, is it the user education of not clicking the phishing emails that cause ransomware in our environments? It can be a a portfolio of all those different things. It really comes down to priority of what you want to focus on in your organization. Okay. All right. As we wrap up, Eric, I'm going to give you the last question here. Or maybe we should give it to you, Ross. What do you want to say? (laughs) So I think we're at a really interesting point in history for CISOs. Now, if you look at a lot of other industries, you know, financial industry, people could do all sorts of shady finances and they had to standardize things with financial accounting regulations and creating SOX compliance and things like that to safeguard companies against embezzling and insider threats. Now, we haven't seen that level of sophistication in the cyber industry but I think we're on on the crux right now where more and more companies are having ransomware causing, you know, million dollar breaches. You, you, I mean, you, you name any Fortune 500 company, they probably had a major breach. They've lost data records. I think we have to figure out how that's going to change. There's there's probably a lot of ways, but it's maturing the industry. It's setting standards. Perhaps we'll see some type of uh, government legislation that comes to to continue to improve, maybe some licensure around that. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but I can tell you this. If you're not studying all the time, if you're not constantly reading and improving yourself, you're not going to be the kind of people that we need to secure our infrastructure for tomorrow. Okay, so that takes me into my last question then, Carolyn. If you had to recommend one book, Ross, to a a new 
person entering the cyberspace. Could be coming out of college, looking at college, or changing mid-career, changing careers. What would it be? I think the best book is The Phoenix Project. It's not solely a cybersecurity. It's more of a DevOps book. But I think it teaches so many valuable lessons. It teaches about a person in IT operations who essentially becomes the almost the CIO. And, and he has to go and fix things. And taking that mindset of how do you do things proactively up front and solve that, that transformational change is what we need in cybersecurity. And if you just think of it this way, you go to a, a sandwich place and they make your sandwich right? And, and let's say you hate mustard, just absolutely can't stand mustard or tomatoes or whatever the thing is that you hate sardines on your, on your sandwich. And they put it in your sandwich. And then you, you go and you look at the end and you unwrap your sandwich. You know, it's just not a good taste and you can take those things off, but you can still taste it. Right. And it's just bad. And, and that's what we've done to cyber, right? We we've tried to fix security at the end. Instead of, hey, don't introduce things. Yeah. 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 We're scraping off the mustard, but My it still never, remains. Yeah. I, I can never get to buy him when I do that. He's, he just won't <laughs> eat it. You're right. Yeah. So as much as we can do things that block the introduction of bad things into our environment, that's, that's where we have to focus. Okay. I love it. No more okay. scraping off the mustard. We're building it right from the start. So the so, Phoenix Project. I yeah, haven't read I that one. Say, it's on my list. It's, that is my next book to read, and I'm going to end this uh, podcast. Well, also, I feel like I, I feel a part two with Ross Young, Eric. What do you feel? I feel right? we could probably we- do a 20-part <laughs> series, but right? there is more of Ross Young out there. He runs a podcast yeah. also. That's right. That's right. So um, I'm going to give a challenge to our listeners. The first person to share this episode on LinkedIn, you got to tag me. I will send you your own copy of The Phoenix Project. So thank you so much for being with us today, Ross. No problem. Thank you so much for having me on the show. If any of the listeners would like to learn more or listen, you know, as uh, Eric mentioned, I have a podcast called CISO Tradecraft, where we're trying to teach the next generation of CISOs all the things you need to know to be an effective executive leader. When we get you back on, the next question I want to ask is, how do you pick your topics? Like, where do you prioritize? So we'll get to that next time. Part two. Part two. So tell me the name of your podcast again. CISO Tradecraft. CISO Tradecraft. We'll tag that in the show notes. It's on Apple. It's it's on all the major podcast platforms. All right. So first person person to share this episode and tag me. You get your own copy of the Phoenix Phoenix Project. Thank you, everybody, for being with us today. Thanks, Ross. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 